Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love, and right now is no exception. We've heard you listeners and know you're counting on us to keep the baking conversation going strong, even in uncertain times. So that's what we intend to do. Today, we're kicking off a month of sweets that rely on a little sour to make them sing. We're baking up cakes, pies, and quick breads that rely on yogurt, sour cream, and buttermilk to add texture and flavor. All month long, we'll help you make some of these tangy ingredients yourself. And first up is the fermented milk drink, kefir, a 2020 food trend that also features in this week's Bake Along, a chocolate chai cake. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet and sour talk. Andrea, I have a 20 for 20 baking resolutions update. I'm ready to hear it. So one of my baking resolutions was to take a Scandi baking class at Bread Ahead at Borough Market here in London. Oh, yes. The site of our puff pastry class about this time last year. That's right. And I think last year when we were taking our puff pastry class, the Scandi baking class was happening next door. So I was keeping one, it of, was. one of my eyes on their classroom. It looked like it was a lot of fun. Okay. Tell us how it was. Yeah, this class is one of their best sellers. I had to book several months out. I had received a gift certificate from my brother and sister-in-law to take a class. My friend Fee and I took the class together, and we made three Scandi specialties. The first, I know, having just finished our flower power month, it couldn't have come at a better time. This was a caraway rye bread, and it used a sourdough starter. Oh, nice. Now, the wonderful thing about doing a bread or any kind of baking class at Bread Ahead is they have everything there for you. And so you just think, I could do this. Right. (laughs) So easy. They're like constantly like whisking things in and out of your reach and like, here's this, put it in. Okay, I'll take that empty bowl. So right. Doesn't everyone have a sourdough starter on hand? Exactly. So they had conveniently put the starter together and it was combined with some water and some dark rye flour. And they actually call that a pre-ferment. So I had not made a bread like this before. You put that in with your other ingredients, which in this case was a combination of a strong white bread flour, caraway seeds, and fresh yeast. Now, Andrea, fresh yeast was completely new to me. Have you worked with fresh yeast? I have. I don't tend to buy it as often because it expires so quickly. And it does. I've had it in the cake form. Is that what how yours yep. was as well? Yeah. 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 So fresh yeast is sometimes called cake or compressed yeast. And if you haven't seen this, listeners, it looks a little bit like cheese like a crumbly curdy cheese and it it smells yeastier I would say than a dried yeast yeah it's only got about a two-week shelf life and you do have to keep it refrigerated although our instructor did say you can pop it in the freezer you just have to bring it back to room temperature before you use it okay good to know that was the first bake and we used a technique called German kneading have you ever kneaded in the German way (laughs) no no I'm not familiar tell me about it okay so I know we have at least One loyal listener, uh, listener Andrea in Germany, you can let me know if this is accurate. 
instead of kind of that push away, pull back, fold, push away as in traditional kneading, Mm -hmm. in German kneading, you take the ball of dough and you slap it down repeatedly on the board. And then you pick it up and you slap it down and you pick it up and you slap it down. And it's really sticky, this dough was at first, but it becomes less so as you are kneading it in this way. I have to say, I've never laughed so hard while kneading bread as I did during this because it's you're just picking it up and flattening it on the board (laughs) it was so dramatic the last time I was in Powell's I don't know if you recall this but I sent you a picture of the Mm -hmm. baking section and just the bread section alone just filled you know shelves and shelves yeah and one of the books that was facing outward was called rage baking and I didn't pick it up at the time (laughs) But now I'm thinking, you know, that might have had some information. This also sounds like something that would be really fun to do with kids. Yeah, it was just kind of a hoot in general to do it. And then it resulted in this wonderful, you have the sourdough and you also have the fresh yeast. You've done this very robust kneading. It was a great loaf. It had that traditional kind of caraway flavor, which I always associate with Scandinavian baking. It was beautiful. It had a really nice crumb. Loved that one. Well, I want to jump in, too, and say that if you're looking to make your own sourdough starter, that is one of the resources we have on our website, on our quarantine baking page. I know a lot of people are doing that right now. Yeah. If you have rye flour on hand or you can get your hands on rye flour, I find that that is one of the best ways to make my sourdough starter. When you use rye versus uh, all-purpose, it seems to... Um, start bubbling and fermenting and come to fruition much more quickly than if you use just regular all-purpose or plain flour. I'm really glad you mentioned that. I have some rye flour right now and have never done a sourdough. So that's one thing that I'm considering. Yeah. Okay. The next thing, Andrea, you may be familiar with, well, it's going to sound familiar to you. Let me put it that way. It was called a nut loaf. It's a from Denmark. Okay. It was exactly as if we had put our life-changing crackers from episode 124 into a loaf pan and baked it. Oh, that sounds good. Now, we have also been talking and we have resources for recipes that don't use flour. And this was almost exclusively nuts. Also seeds, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, walnuts, fennel, poppy seeds, a little bit of buckwheat, Mm -hmm. buckwheat flour, all toasted, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. combined with a little bit of egg and oil, actually, I'm looking at the recipe. It was really good. It felt so healthy, nutty, all of those awesome flavors. Our instructor served it with a sharp cheddar cheese, a little bit of pesto, and diced cherry tomatoes. Oh, It would have been great at breakfast. It was great at appetizer time. That does sound good. I loved that one. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we love those crackers so much back in episode 124, but they were a little fiddly as far as making them into crackers. Here you just dump it all into the loaf pan and you're done. So I love that. I love it. Yeah. And then saving the best for last, you knew it was coming, was the cinnamon and cardamom buns, which are such a trademark of the Scandi baking. And you guys heard me talk about eating them in Sweden when I did a Globetrotting Gourmet last month as well. Let me tell you, it is so dangerous that I know how to make these now. (laughs) Well, longtime listeners know of my obsession with cardamom. So when you told me you were taking your Scandi baking class, my first thought was, oh my gosh, she's going to use cardamom in everything. It's funny that those first two recipes you mentioned to me don't strike me as much as what my stereotypical idea of 
Scandinavian baking is, but certainly this one does. I mean, cinnamon and cardamom together, it sounds so good to me. And you know, the thing that surprised me, I guess, the most in these, Andrea, was that there was cardamom in the dough as well. Mm. It was not only in the filling, but it was also in the dough. And it just sang. It was Mm. so delicious. Let's not kid ourselves. It was so rich and buttery and... Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of the good things. And then we had a really nice citrus glaze. And I thought of you two during this. When they were still hot, we glazed them with kind of a a lemon and an orange sugar syrup. That would be traditional. You would not find like a white frosting like an American cinnamon roll. And that just kind of kept them nice and moist as well. But then added that citrus zing and... Right. Oh, man. I kicked that resolution firmly onto my done list and I had a great time doing it. Well, and listening to you talk about this is reminding me that gift certificates are a great thing that you can give to someone, especially for businesses right now that might not be open for business, but that you want to support. So you could purchase a gift certificate, you could give it to someone, and then they could book the class when they're able to fit it into their schedule and, you know, the establishment schedule as well. So well done to your brother and sister-in-law. What a great gift. And, you know, along those lines too, Bread Ahead was offering online tutorials. They have a donut making class that will be next on my list. Ooh. But they are offering it online. So if that is still up and running, we'll post that in the show notes because no matter where you are, then you could do a virtual class with them. Virtual donuts. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Stefan, you know we always encourage our listeners to share our show with their friends because every time we see a new review or we have someone who tells us they've shared it with their community, yes. we do see a little bump up in our downloads. Mm-hmm. Well, recently, no exception, listener Mary Beth did us a huge favor when she shared Mm -hmm, Preheated with the New York Times Podcast Club group that she's in. I know. And then the New York Times did put us on their list of podcasts to listen to. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And we saw such a huge uptick in our downloads. Mary Beth, thank you. You are just the kindest person, and we so appreciate you doing this for us. All of our listeners, we just have the best listeners, stuff, and that's all I have to say. They're the best. You and I didn't even hear of it first. I think I was starting to get texts from friends and they're like, you're in the New York Times. I'm like, what are you talking about? I know. (laughs) And then we look and my jaw just literally dropped. I was just sending that emoji of the head exploding. Yeah. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Like our listeners are absolutely the best. And this is a power of a personal recommendation. Like times a million. Incredible. Yeah. So true. So thank you, Mary Beth. We owe you one. I sent her a little personal message and told her I'm going to bake something and send it to her soon. So oh. I'm, I'm sure that's why she did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you'll be sending her this chocolate chai kefir cake that is our first bake-along during this sweet and sour month. Andrea, we have got to pause and say why we have chosen this theme month. It's all about your husband. That's right. I forgot about that. Well, let's first say that your husband proposed a month of using corn. (laughs) Yep, that was what? Was that last June? That was last June. Yep, June of 2019. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we both laughed at that. And then it's almost like they put that out into the universe and suddenly we were flooded with corn recipes. Yes, it's so true. 
And there came the completely corny month. And so same thing. My husband one night was sitting there and he loves sour cream like nobody's business. (laughs) And in fact, one of his and my daughter's favorite desserts is to take fresh strawberries and dip them into sour cream and then dip them into brown sugar. Oh, yeah. Yum. And so he said to me, why don't you do a whole month of sour cream? And I just kind of laughed at him and thought, you know, whatever. And then sure enough, (laughs) the recipes just started rolling in. I think right after that, I saw a whole full-length feature in Bake from Scratch. And I just started seeing everywhere people featuring sour cream. And I mentioned it to you. And I think that's when you started seeing some things as well. And, you know, we keep our huge document, Andrea, with all of our potential themes. Mm -hmm. And it's just a good reminder that sour cream month, you, you had texted me and you're like, you know, my husband says maybe sour cream. I don't know. I'm going to put it in the document. And you did. It's just you should always keep your ideas good, bad, whatever, yes. because you never know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Now I am just so excited about this month we have planned. And we are kicking it off with a tangy ingredient that you may have made before. You may have drank this before, but I doubt you've put it in your chocolate cake before. And that is milk kefir. This is a chocolate chai kefir cake, and it's from a UK magazine called Olive. I've read this for a few years now, but we've never featured them. And so this seemed like a nice intro. Andrea, I know you're a fan of chai latte. I know you make your own kefir, so I'm hoping this one is going to be right up your alley. I know. This recipe does have a lot of things that call to me. I want to back up real quick. I think we have used Olive magazine one previous time and that was when I was visiting you in London and we made those salted pistachio chocolate babka buns now they came from Ed Kimmer who is the boy who bakes okay but I'm pretty sure they were published in Olive magazine and same thing here this chocolate chai kefir cake comes from someone named Sarah Cook but it's in this Olive magazine so well good I'm glad to hear it because we love the babka buns yeah Back to the ingredients again, which all are speaking to me. So we've got dark chocolate, which you know I love. We've got plain flour or all-purpose flour, cocoa powder, baking powder, bicarb of soda or baking soda, and then your spices. You've got a little bit of ground cinnamon, ginger, cardamom, and cloves. Yes. Then that milk kefir, three eggs, a little bit of vanilla extract, some caster sugar or granulated sugar, some soft light brown sugar, and then some unsalted butter. So those are all of the cake ingredients. Stefan, if you can't get kefir, what would you suggest people substitute here? Yeah, and we're going to talk more in depth about exactly what kefir is in a minute here, but it's kind of like drinkable yogurt. Yeah. That's how I think of it. Mm -hmm. So I think you could do a runny yogurt. I think that would probably be a fine substitute think maybe a buttermilk if it was a thicker buttermilk maybe a full fat buttermilk I think that would work also I was thinking the same thing and I also thought I know sometimes I use a sour cream that's a little more pourable yeah than it is thick and so maybe you know somewhere between those two so don't panic if you can't get your hands on the kefir and this is the milk kefir that we're talking about here so there's also something called water kefir you'll find that in your grocery store in the section near kombucha and other fermented drinks but this is milk kefir it's usually in the dairy section of the grocery store and this cake is a one layer cake which I also know you are a fan of and it has this really glossy dark chocolate ganache glaze also yeah I know (laughs) I know I just I just saw this and I was like I'm ripping this one out Andrea 
then you have got your 23 centimeter uh, loose bottom cake tin. That's a really popular way for uh, British cakes to be baked. I think if you don't have that particular, what is that, an eight inch? I think we've determined an eight inch round cake tin, Andrea. I was going to say nine inch, but... Okay, we'll confirm that in the show notes then. We'll confirm that. Yes. <laughs> Let's look that up. You know me in measurements. I'm, I'm not a real uh, strict uh, interpretist, literalist on the measurements. <laughs> when it says loose bottom, mm. is that what I would call a spring form? Yeah, pan? exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. And that All just right, seems right. to be how cakes, I see that so often here that it just seems to be the norm. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. And you are melting down your chocolate. And meanwhile, putting your dry ingredients together, including all those really nice spices and your wet ingredients, and then mixing that everything together. They say an electric whisk. I think they probably mean a handheld mixer, but I will probably be pulling out my KitchenAid there. And then you're going to have 150 mils of just boiled water as well. Uh, I have another cake recipe that uses just boiled, or I guess hot coffee. And I guess it's kind of acting in that same in that same mm-hmm. way. Putting everything into the oven for about 45 to 55 minutes, letting it cool completely. And then the frosting, I love these directions, Andrea. It says, for a saucy finish, ice just before serving. (laughs) (laughs) But you can also ice that, let it set. It's going to be not as glossy, but probably just as delicious. Pouring that on, serving it in wedges. Mm -hmm. Leave for a minute or up to a day if you like. I love that. I'm not sure it's going to last for a day. No, I thought this recipe was so well written. I do want to throw something out. I'll let our listeners in on a little behind the scenes. When Stefan and I evaluate recipes, we look at a couple of things. Of course, we look at the ingredients and how available they are. We look at the instructions and how well written it is. We look at the comments from people. Uh, We look at the reviews. And one thing that I always look at is whether or not salt is an ingredient because I really don't trust baked goods without salt. (laughs) Uh-oh. So as I know, as I was looking at this list of ingredients, I got a bit anxious when I did not see salt on the list. But I want to point out for anyone who's nervous, in step two, you will see that they throw in there a quarter teaspoon of fine salt. So fear not, salt yeah. is included. <laughs> it's just not listed out separately. That's a really good reason to always read a recipe thoroughly as well, because that water really isn't listed either. So, you know, you need to be prepared to have that boiling water and then also salt. Especially since your trademark phrase in the show open is put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Oh, yeah. When the end of step one said put the kettle on, I thought, (laughs) oh, you're baking and she's letting us know. Go ahead and put the kettle on so you have some nice tea to comfort you when you get to the end of this recipe. I didn't realize it was put the kettle on to boil some water, which you will need in step two. Right. Okay. Well, now everybody will be putting that kettle on and thinking of my little trademark and also for their 150 mils of boiling water. (laughs) Adding that boiling water to the cake mix did throw me Mm -hmm. a little bit back to my childhood memories when I was reading through this recipe. I have a feeling I did that more as a kid. Now, maybe it was with a cake mix Or maybe it was just that that's the kind of recipes that I grew up with. But I have memories of throwing. I keep saying throwing. It sounds so, you know. Dangerous. Over the top and dangerous, (laughs) yes. Stirring, perhaps, or pouring um, hot water into cake mixes. I, I feel like I've done that before. Yeah, I don't know enough about the science of why the hot beverage, like why couldn't you just mm-hmm. put in cold water? 
There's something mm. happening there, I think. Yeah, I mm-hmm. feel like some clumping. Cold mm. water sounds like clumping to me. Yeah, maybe it's to make it smoother. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, remember, we will have a link to this recipe in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 171, on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook listeners group. So, Andrea, all month long, we're talking about sweets made with tangy ingredients like buttermilk and sour cream. These products are, of course, usually available to purchase at your grocery store, but they're also surprisingly fun and pretty easy to make yourself. So we thought we'd devote most of our mini-segments this month to helping listeners do just that. And first up is this week's star ingredient, kefir. Now, you've had some experience with this one, right? Right. And as you just heard us mention when we introduced this week's Bake Along, kefir is a fermented milk or water-based drink. I've made water-based kefir numerous times, okay. but this chocolate chai cake calls for a milk-based kefir, and that's the one that's newer to me. As we mentioned earlier in the show, a good way to describe milk-based kefir is like drinkable yogurt. But as far as the process of making it goes, I think a better comparison is kombucha, and that's fermented tea. That drink uses a SCOBY, which provides the beneficial yeast and bacteria to the beverage, whereas kefir uses something called kernels. Now, are those actual grains? No, I think the name's a bit of a misnomer because it makes you think this is somehow a grain-based drink, but it's not. Okay. The kernels or the grains, they're actually these little rubbery balls, and they essentially do the same thing as the SCOBY does in kombucha, Okay. whether you're starting with a base of water or with milk. So is it as simple as adding these kernels to a glass of water or milk and letting chemistry do the rest? It really is. Oh, (laughs) yeah. You just rinse the grains and you add them to a quart glass jar with a cup of milk. You cover the jar with cheesecloth and that's it. Can you use any kind of milk? I use organic whole milk. My instructions on my milk kefir package say any kind of milk is okay as long as it's not ultra pasteurized. Mm -hmm, Okay. I place the cheesecloth covered glass jar in my pantry. You can use any dark, dry place and let it sit for one to two days. And I know that's a really weird thought of letting milk sit out, but trust me, it's okay. Okay. And then it's as simple as stirring it and straining it. I always use a non-metal strainer and a stirrer so I don't end up with any sort of metallic taste being imparted. And where do you source the kernels, Andrea? I've seen several places where you can buy them commercially. So the ones that I get are from a local company called Oli Cultures, and they come in a kit with about a teaspoon of the live grain and the instructions. Mine cost about $16 for the kit, but you only have to buy it once. The kefir grains are alive, and they keep growing. So over time, you just continue to use them. You'll have more and more, and you can give some away. I can also purchase mine in my local co-op, in the dairy section, in the refrigerator section. And I've looked, and it looks like there are some vendors on Amazon. We'll include links to those in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 171. But the best place is to get them from a friend. Just like sharing a sourdough starter or a kombucha scoby, the grains multiply and you can pass them on. And also just like a sourdough or scoby, the properties of the bacteria and yeast will change with the environment. So you'll have a unique tasting product that's truly individual to your home or wherever you're making your kefir. Andrea, what do you do with your kefir? I use it in my homemade ranch dressing, Mm. and I also use it as a creamy base in sauces when I make what I call Buddha bowls. So, you know, that's where you have a grain and some vegetables and some protein, 
and then some sort of sauce on top, like a peanut sauce or something. Mm. And the benefits of kefir are impressive. Some people who are lactose intolerant find they're better able to digest kefir because it's fermented, and it's full of those good-for-you probiotics which help populate your gut with healthy bacteria. Listeners, whether you're an old hand at kefir or ready to try it for the first time, let us know your thoughts, hot tips, or questions. Drop us a note at host at preheatedpodcast.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-276-0788. Or, of course, you can always comment in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we'll discover if adding kefir to our cake resulted in a keepsake or a mistake. And we'll introduce our next sweet and sour bake-along, a lemon sour cream pie that has us puckering up already. Thanks as always to Anne-Marie Russell for supplying our theme music. You can find more of her music on Amazon and iTunes, as well as at annemarierussell.com. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. And if you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Our thoughts are with you and your families and loved ones. We hope our show has provided a bit of respite when you've needed it most. Thanks for listening, be well, and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.